0: Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Well, good morning, friends near and far. It is good to be back with you. Uh, for the last two Sundays, our Candler Summer Seminarian resident, Dustin, has uh, been preaching for us so that the family and I could take a much needed vacation, get to the beach, and spend some time in the waves. And it is good to be back with you. And thank you, Dustin, for the work that you did, and to the whole staff for the work you all did while I was gone. If you're a guest with us this morning, it is my prayer and my hope that you have felt as warmly welcomed as you possibly can in this digital format in this unique time of gathering as Eastside. And if you are a guest, whether this is your first Sunday or your sixth Sunday, if you've never reached out by by completing the the link in the YouTube feed, um the the check-in form, we don't really have any way of reaching out to you to thank you for being with us in worship. So if you would be so um, kind as to take a minute and fill that out, we would greatly appreciate it. Our staff would, our care team would. And for all of you regular members and regular attenders, we really need you to fill that form out as well because it helps our staff shepherd the flock and to keep track of folks and to touch in and touch base and to figure out what is going on in y'all's lives. So please, everyone, take a minute and fill out the check-in form. Well, if you are a guest with us, or if it's been a minute since you've been with us in worship or tuned into worship as it is, uh, it may be helpful for you to know that here at Eastside we are coming to the close this morning of a summer teaching series that we have been in since Pentecost. It is a series that we've titled Unoya. And if you're not familiar with the word eunoia, it's an ancient Greek word that roughly and commonly is translated into beautiful thinking. And we decided in this season of COVID and social distancing and sheltering at home that perhaps a revisit to the Apostle Paul's fruits of the Holy Spirit would be helpful in this time in this season as we're not physically together, but we are with those whom we may be sheltering with or those in our workplace. So what does it look like for us as a people in this challenging year that is 2020 to be a people whose minds, whose ways of thinking are constantly and readily and regularly being transformed, renewed, made to be new and to good, to be good and to be beautiful. To have our minds, our way of thinking and being, to embrace this idea of eunoya, of the good, of the true, of the beautiful. In Paul, he speaks to the life lived in sync with God's Holy Spirit is a life that embodies love and joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, faithfulness, and to this morning's fruit, that of self-control. And this morning, we're going to read yet another of uh, one of Paul's writings, that, that letter which he wrote to the church in Corinth. And our text this morning begins by Paul speaking to the reality that as a human being, he has this tremendous amount of freedom. He's free to act and to be and to make choices in the kind of way he wants to live his life and the kind of human he wants to be, to become, and to relate to the other humans in his life. And then he moves into this metaphor of the athlete. And he applies it, broadly speaking, to the life of the Christian. So friends, as we enter into a conversation around self-control, I invite you to listen to Holy Scripture and to place yourself in a posture of receptivity, whether that be seated or standing, wherever you may find yourself. And as I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I invite you to listen for the Word of God. Paul writes, For though I am free with respect to all... I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by any means some may be saved. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in It's blessings. Do you not know that in a race, the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize, run, in such a way as to win? Athletes, they they exercise self-control in all things, but they they receive a perishable garland, uh, earthly trophy, but we will receive an imperishable one. So I don't run aimlessly, nor do I box as though I am beating the air but I punish my body and enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy and gracious God, God who was, God who shall be, may you break into our present in this time, in these moments before us as we come to your table, your table of grace, as we come, God, to be renewed by you, to be fed by you, to receive love and the nourishment and the life that only you can provide for us, God may in this time and through this community you satisfy our deepest desires so that we might be the people you call us to be and God I pray that these words that I prepared might indeed be your word for your people in this time and I ask God that you would speak through them and where and as necessary that you would speak in spite of me as I preach, God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of all of our hearts spread across physical distance right now and across time and space as people listen and experience this service in different times of the week. May all of it, may all of our hearts, may all of our meditations, may all of our reflections and ways that we receive God all be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, a great rock, God, a redeemer, God, our Savior. All this we pray in the name of the Christ and everyone who was able typed Amen. Well, I don't know about you all, but in the early early weeks of the pandemic and sheltering at home. I was very open to receiving some comic relief whenever I could, and sometimes I would peruse Facebook to see if anyone was musing in a way that might lighten the mood a little bit, because things were feeling heavy, and I came across a colleague of mine's Facebook status, a fellow pastor, and he was naming a crisis that had come to bear on his home, and it wasn't the fact that they had run out of toilet paper or sanitizer or one of the, the many other things like face masks or gloves that were hard to come by in those early days. Now what, what he was posting about his great concern and the tragedy in his life was that he had, un, unreal, without realizing, burnt through their stash of Girl Scout cookies much, much faster than he was aware. and. While it may be the case that the Girl Scout cookies at the beginning of the pandemic were not maybe in quite as much of a demand as toilet paper or hand sanitizer, what's also true about Girl Scout cookies is you can't just walk down the street to your neighborhood uh, grocer and buy them. To get Girl Scout cookies, you need human Girl Scouts. And You know, a few weeks into the pandemic, it didn't seem like door-to-door Girl Scout cookie sales were going to be happening again anytime soon. So he described their family as having undergone this great crisis, losing one of their most helpful coping mechanisms in the early days, those savory, crunchy, sugary little treats. This morning, our text brings our minds and our hearts to the subject of self-control, which maybe isn't a topic that many of us have really wanted to dive into or think about or talk about in this season of COVID, where so many of us have been at home all the time with the refrigerator in the pantry nearby. And speaking of Girl Scout cookies... It does seem that they have cracked this really important part of human psychology because year after year they keep selling them, which must mean that people keep buying them, people like me and my family. And it is really kind of a brilliant program and I know that some of our members are uh, participants in the Scouts and sell these lovely little delights, but if you think about it, I mean, who on earth doesn't want to support these little humans who want to become better people and more capable and learn how to take care of themselves out in the world and be independent. Many of us are willing to sacrifice a little bit of our hard-earned money to support this benevolent cause of human beings who want to grow and to become what they can be. And of course, we just get the happy accident that our benevolence of supporting this beautiful organization and these humans in our lives is that we also receive these lovely boxes of sweet, crunchy bites of heaven in my mouth. And when our family gets out the Girl Scout cookies, it's never an assumption that everybody gets one cookie and then the cookies go back in the pantry. No, the question's never, do I get a cookie? It's always dad or mom how many cookies do we get on this particular occasion? Self-control. I suppose it's everyone's favorite subject, right? And it's kind of interesting that it lands where it does in Paul's text in Galatians. We have this whole list, and this list that begins with this huge theological, philosophical, ethical idea of love, right? Nobody wants to argue with the importance of love. And then Paul works through joy, peace, patience, kindness, but it ends with this one, self-control. It's kind of like dropping a brick in your bathtub and that just dull thud. And it could sound a little bit legalistic, kind of rules-oriented, kind of leaning us in toward what we're not supposed to do, what we're supposed to stay away from, what we ought not eat. I don't know about you, but self-control, even the, the kind of phrase itself can sometimes feel, at least to me, sort of a little bit personal and kind of a private subject of conversation. Maybe it's none of the preacher's business how many Girl Scout cookies I do or don't eat or give to my kids But here's the thing, as the adults know in the room, one of the beauties about coming into adulthood is that at least in the same way as was true when you were living in your parents' house, you no longer have a parent sort of looking right over your shoulder counting how many cookies you eat. Because now they're your cookies, and you are in charge, and you get to decide how many is enough, how many is too many, and if you want to eat the whole thing box. I think often, new, newly minted adults, they don't always love the discussion around self-control because they're still sort of basking in the freedom of being out from under the weight of another adult who had been looking over their shoulders telling them what they ought and ought not do. Finally, feeling that freedom to eat as many or whatever kind of cookies whenever they want. If an adult wants to eat the entire box, that's their right to do so. It's their prerogative. But while it may be our so-called right to do so, and this is Paul's point at the first part in the first part of our text this morning from 1 Corinthians, it may be our right, we may be free to do so, The question the Christian is called to ask ask, is, is, is it good and is it the right thing to do even if I have the right to do it? Especially if me exercising my right to eat as many of the cookies as I want has an impact on the other people in the household who maybe also would have enjoyed participating in the Girl Scout delights. See, oftentimes at the root of our discussions around self-control, if we kind of peel back the layers of the onion, we start to find ourselves working towards an even more uncomfortable conversation, one about selfishness. Because our lack of self-control can sometimes be closely related to a place in our hearts or in our lives that is still pretty me-focused and me-centric, and and my needs-oriented. And part of the struggle for us, those of you especially watching in the American church and our Western society, is that most of us were raised with this sort of blatant refusal to recognize the reality, the mathematics of it, that me consuming more at some level is gonna contribute to somebody else getting less. It's simple arithmetic, it's numbers. If I take way more toilet paper than I need at the beginning of the pandemic, it might be the case that there's not gonna be enough for the other people who come after me who maybe just were gonna take like one container. We saw this happen in a really awkward and strange way in our country. Well, we're taught from a young age in this culture, and we're taught to kind of engage in this elaborate mental gymnastic, uh, mental thing that we do about how we justify our unbridled American consumption. We, We tell ourselves that as long as we're the ones who worked hard and that we got paid and that we used our money, our money, to buy whatever it is that we want to indulge in, it's all right, darn it. I'm an American and I can eat as many cookies as I want because it's mine and I paid for it. I earned that cookie. And while this is a, certainly a very capitalistic and market-oriented way of thinking, one that is the water that many of us have just been drinking and the air that many of us were raised breathing, Truth is, it's hardly even close to a Christian way of seeing our lives and, and, and seeing how our lives relate to, to material realities outside of us. It's hardly a Christian way of orienting ourselves in this world. Here's the thing about the Christian understanding or practice of self-control. It's really not about self-control in the sense of, of our, our working to avoid doing bad things. What, what the late Dallas Willard described as the gospel of sin management. That's really not what the, the point of self-control as one of the fruits of the Spirit is. And if that's where our minds take us, for, for good reason. Many of us have been programmed to think that way when it comes to self-control. Don't do certain bad things. But the, but the true Christian understanding of self-control really isn't about self-control sort of as itself. It's it's not really about gluttony. It's not really about abstaining from this or that or the other thing. And as much as I'd like to make it about consumerism, because that's also a huge problem in the church, self-control is bigger and deeper and wider than any of that. Because self-control, it's not about sort of arbitrarily bending to some law or rule or some parental guideline that has been imposed upon us, some, some societal boundary that we're told, do not dare cross that. Have self-control to keep yourself away from the electric fence, whatever it may be. Self-control is not just simply mindlessly like a robot following whatever rules society has laid upon the humans within its vicinity. No one in our country ever gets arrested for eating too much. As long as we paid for the buffet or for the food, it's fine. We don't arrest people for watching Netflix for 12 hours every day for a week straight. Maybe we should, but I don't think everyone's ever been arrested for binging on Netflix. For the Christian, self-control, it's not, it's not about just arbitrarily following whatever rules, whatever society has deemed. It's not about not doing something bad or avoiding eating too much. It goes so much deeper than how many Girl Scout cookies I eat in one sitting. Because if we get to the bottom of it, it really actually has to do a lot more with the state of our heart with the state of our internal being, with some of the really, really deeply rooted layers of our consciousness and our existence. A very, very surface understanding of self-control can be about not eating too much, gluttony. But I think a deeper dive begins to push us to ask bigger questions about why. Why does my body crave that? Why do I want that thing that I know is bad for me? Why? How how am I here? How did I get here? What's going on inside of me? In other words, I think what self-control begins to get to is it shines a light on the fact that oftentimes we live into and out of physical cravings or sort of uh, mental or emotional cravings that might actually be a deeper, deeper deeper-seated reality that we're trying to fill and address and deal with. We just don't quite realize it. Maybe Paul puts this at the end of the whole list because he's he's using it kind of as a capstone to, to push us to ask this really hard question. Am I, as one who wants to be, is seeking to be a follower of the Christ, at the same time finding myself in this sort of existential state of craving? Am I at a deep heart or soul level at an existential state of craving? And if the answer to that is yes, then I suppose we probably need to, to ask some follow up questions. For starters, one real obvious question is that if I am at this sort of deep level of craving beyond even physicality, then why is it that I keep trying to fill something that's so much bigger than that with food or with substance or with? A particular drug or relationships, romance, sex, material stuff, cars, clothes. Some of us are trying to fill a deeper existential craving by continuing and continuing and continuing to improve upon perfection with our home renovations. Goodness gracious, the yard's fine. Take a step back. You just painted yesterday. But what happens is that it's not always the crazy stuff. It's not always the stuff that we in society normally point to as like the bad stuff. We can get addicted to and and fill cravings with all kinds of things, good, bad, and indifferent. The question is, are you using something to numb the reality that there's something deeper inside of you that is craving something and you don't know what it is and you're not sure how to get it? Because the body craves, our physical bodies crave when basically one of two realities is true. Either the body needs something, so maybe you're a vegetarian, but all of a sudden you're craving steak. Well, maybe you're iron deficient, right? Um, Or the body has become addicted to something. And in your attempt to break that addiction to sugar or alcohol or a drug, your body is going through withdrawals and it makes you want the thing that much more while your body works through that process. The body craves, sometimes when the body's trying to like, find its equilibrium and fix a vitamin deficiency, or maybe you're in a starvation mode because you haven't eaten in a long time, or you're on a fast and your body's like, just give me any kind of calories, I don't even care what they are. Or maybe our bodies are craving because of an addiction, something that it has gotten really accustomed to getting and now it's not getting and it's mad. Sometimes we're in a state of physical craving because our bodies need equilibrium. Sometimes we're in a state of physical craving because whether we are intentionally trying to or not, we're weaning our body off of something and it doesn't like it. But here's the thing. As we've spoken to a lot throughout 2020, we are not, as human beings, just bodies. No, we are, we, are, we are holistic, integrated beings. We have bodies, we have minds, we have an emotional center, we often call this the heart, we have souls, we are spiritual beings, and none of it gets easily sort of partitioned out. We have minds and intellectual reality. It's all sort of intertwined and interwoven. Our bodies impact our minds, and our minds impact our emotions. And all of these realities are integrated into this wondrous reality of the sentient being that I am and that you are. And for good reasons, for some bad reasons, our bodies have needs. Our minds, our hearts, our souls, and yes, our spirits, they have needs, they have cravings, they have things that they long for. Which leads to another follow-up question, can our hearts, can our emotional centers be in a state of craving Because because of something like the reality that we're lonely or we're desperately needing the experience of, of a loving relationship with a fellow human being, we need to experience the care of another human being in our life. Can our hearts be dry or empty or craving something because they're not getting it? But here's where it gets really tricky in our daily lives, right? Here's when we then... We feel this deeper problem, but we reach for the the box of Girl Scout cookies, thinking that fixing our body or giving our body a fix is gonna fix our emotional center. And then it doesn't work and we get mad and we try it again with something else and we create this cycle where we're trying to feed the wrong dimension of our being because we've got the craving misdiagnosed. We're not realizing what's actually going on in us, so we, just keep trying these things. And sometimes in the process of trying to, to to feed our physical body, it ends up becoming dependent on something that it wasn't before. Yet the heart longing or the, the mental mind longing or the spiritual longing is still there waiting to be dealt with and to be addressed. But we've been so focused on our physicality that we've ignored the reality of our soul, of our mind, of our hearts. Friends, what what is really the craving that is deep within you? Because so much of the time, the physical stuff is real, but we often try to treat the stuff at the depth of our being with food or with substance, with surface-level romantic uh, relationships or experiences, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, But if we try to feed the wrong part of us, it's still gonna be there, and we're gonna be worse than we were at the beginning. We're gonna find ourselves right back where we started, and now we may have a physical craving, too, that we have to deal with. So what do we do? And all of this in the context of self-control, when we take self-control kind of from this surfacey level of don't do bad stuff, to this deeper level of like what 's actually going on inside of me? What is my real need here? I think that for me, the, the most helpful way to answer this question this is why I gravitated towards the text that I did this morning paul 's words to the Corinthian Church. in the Corinthian church, they had a lot of issues they did. They were distracted in many different directions at many different levels, mental distractions, physical distractions emotional distractions, and Paul was trying to, to bring them in focus, get them into the same page, into the same place. And he does so this morning by, by utilizing this beautiful metaphor of athleticism, which in that Corinthian culture, athletes were a big deal. So people would have paid attention to what he was saying. And he says, you know those people who run those insanely long runs, those marathons, those athletes. Paul says, why don't you try taking your relationship with the Christ and the Christian faith and your human life and reframing it in the way that they frame their life in terms of being an athlete? Athletes, they engage faithfully in this process of training, of eating in a certain way, this kind of regiment, this this lifestyle. But what's so interesting is that if you ask most athletes, especially professional level or Olympian level athletes, why it is that they train so often and so hard, almost no Olympic athlete ever said, because I wanted to get my body into a really healthy place, or I wanted to lose some weight, or you know, I just wanted to see if I could run a little faster, said no Olympian athlete ever, right? No. Almost none of them are doing what they're doing for the primary point of the physical benefits of their training, though I'm sure none of them mind those, mind you. People don't just up and become Olympian level athletes because they wanna sort of change the physicality of their life. They wanna drop some pounds or build some muscle. Olympic athletes, they have these incredibly low resting heart rates. They have sort of scary low body fat. And it's not because that's what they're aiming for. It's because they have this bigger goal. They have this bigger thing. And they feel called and compelled, and it's their vocation to participate in whatever that game may be, whether it be to run, to play a sport, to jump, to lift. There's something that they feel makes them come alive and become the human that, that they are supposed to be in the world. And that's why they're willing to train the way that they do and to what we would call sacrifice. They get up super early in the morning and they engage these crazy regimens and they eat like stuff that some of us have never even eaten before. And the goal, again, is not so that they can be the healthiest that they can be, but they want to be the healthiest that they can be so that they can play and participate and be vocationally the person that they believe that they're called to be in and for the world. Now take that and apply that to your life as a Christian, to your life as a follower of the Christ. Take that image and take all the talk about self-control and the junk that we struggle with over here and over here and over here, and ask, Can a realigning of my whole way of being and goal and vocation and the way that I just see myself and the rest of my life, in this life with these humans, in this time, in this space, is there a way for me to refocus all of that in such a way that I'm, I'm living into a new trajectory for a different reason? Because I think what Paul is saying is that Christians, if you still haven't found what you're looking for, that's a, a song lyric in case you didn't get the reference. Paul says, start following the Christ because you can, you can start by walking after the Christ or crawling after the Christ or jogging, but start somewhere with the goal in mind. If you're Christian friends, you're, you're gonna at some level crave participation in what's going to make you truly become who you, you say you are. To say that we are Christian means something. It means that we're identifying as a certain kind of human being that is aspiring to become a certain kind of human being. And it requires movement, and it requires orientation, and it requires us to, to be willing to get up and do something. And on this morning, if you found yourself in sort of this muddy place, and I know people are there, if for no other reason than because it's 2020, but where people don't necessarily feel like they're participating in the incoming reign and kingdom and building of God's world here on this planet right now. But if that's true, you're gonna struggle until you find a way to reconnect with that, with that work, with that participation. No one says we have to follow perfectly, but we do have to be on the journey. There has to be some sense of progression of an attempt to get off the couch. My father-in-law famously says, the luxury once tasted becomes necessity. And I think for many of us, we have experienced profound movements of God in our lives and in the world. And maybe we're in this sort of dry spell right now. And there is this luxury once tasted. I have tasted and I have seen God. I have seen the work of Christ in my life and in the world. And right now, I'm just kind of coasting or I'm kind of stuck. And we're, we're craving. We're craving something so much more and so much deeper, but we're not sure how to get there, or we don't want to get there, or we're in denial. So we're trying to feed it with all these physical, surface-level things that are not making us any happier. Just like a, like a, you know, things at the circus that go in a circle. What are they called? Carousels. Thank you, Troy. I need you all back in the sanctuary with me to help me remember my words. See, I don't think Christianity is really as much about self-control at this sort of surface level, but it's more of a warning light in our hearts and our lives to ask the question like, why am I desiring that? Never wanted that before, that's weird. Where are you at? Where are you off? That's a that's a warning light signal to say, okay, I need to take a step back and ask what's going on with me and in me. And here's the thing: the life trying to be lived as your, your goal to be self-control. Like my goal in life is to be self-controlled. That just sounds miserable. Like my goal in life is to control me and to avoid doing bad things. How about we we think more towards self-mastery? My goal in is to participate with God in self-mastery, not so that I can avoid the person I don't want to be, but so I can so become the person that God is calling me to be that the other stuff slowly but surely begins to lose any place in the story and any importance in my life. Anything we try to do simply by white-knuckling and willpowering it, all the studies have shown it's going to be short-lived. You can do it for a little bit. You can do it for a little while. But what we actually need is for our our wants to be transformed so that we want what we really need. So there's an alignment with what we desire, with who we truly want to become and the kind of the life that we really want to lead while we're here on this planet. Friends, if we make the mission of the Christ, the building of the kingdom and the reign of God here on our earth, and again, that gets lived out in different ways in all of our lives, but if we make the mission of the Christ and the building of God's kingdom and reign the ultimate goal of and purpose of our life on this planet, of the time that we have, we are going to be surprised by how all of this fruits of the spirit talk, things just begin to, to happen and people are going to just see change in us. They're going to notice a bud of joy over here. You weren't even aiming for joy. You were just aiming for faithfulness and see a bud of generosity over here and see this like emanating reality of love pouring from you because you've directionally you've, you've seen where you you're being called to head as a follower of the Christ and you are making an alignment with everything else that you do in your life. And the fruits become fruits, not fruits that you go to the fruit stand and buy, but fruits that you as the organic reality begin to grow by being faithful, by knowing the goal, by orienting, by being like the athlete who knows the race that he's running. And Paul says, don't just run the race to finish, but run it to win it. And maybe in the kingdom of God, we can, winning is not about getting there first, but it's by the way we run. And maybe more than one person can win in the race of the kingdom of God. But are we even moving in that direction? And if we're not, maybe we need to pay attention to our cravings and ask why they're there and what they mean, and then begin a process of realigning and rethinking and asking God to do this unoya work in our minds and in our lives, transform us from distracted thinking, from dark thinking, from confused thinking, from disoriented thinking, to thinking that is good, that is beautiful, that is true. So friends, as we conclude this series together, my prayer this morning and into the rest of this year is that unoya will indeed be true for each and every one of you. May it be so in the name of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, and all God's people typed, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's message, and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's East Side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org, and find our giving portal there.